It's only entertainment. Welcome back to The Talking Hedge. I'm Josh Kincaid, Capital Markets Analyst and host of your Cannabis Business Podcast. Today, I've got my guest, Greg James. He is the publisher of Marijuana Venture Magazine. Greg, thanks again for being on The Talking Hedge. Yeah, so you guys have been around since I think at least 2012. Um, been around for a little while. You you guys have a Marijuana Venture Magazine. You also have Interchange, which is like speed dating for producers, processors, retail, retailers. They get together. Um, you provide an amazing service for distribution, which is highly overlooked. Uh, even football players will get into the game and realize, oh, I can't sell anything. And it's not for lack of money or anything else. It's distribution. And so you've kind of tried to solve that that issue. You've taken Interchange and um, brought it uh, throughout uh, the country. It's going to be in Seattle. Um, and I've been to it a, a few times. I haven't gone to the other states, though, and locations you've been at. So maybe you could tell some people your own perspective of Interchange as well. as What are you seeing across the country? So, yeah, we, well, okay, a couple of corrections. We launched Marijuana Venture in 2014, and uh, it was at the time the first real business magazine. And then it was a year later that I believe we did our first interchange. It was either late 2015 or, or maybe early 2016, but we have been doing them now for, gosh, I guess, eight or nine years. And um, they just keep growing in popularity. The... The concept, um, I used to be in the CD-ROM publishing business, so I actually owned a pretty good-sized publishing company, and we competed with all the big brands, you know, Microsoft, um, Intuit, back in the day of, of uh, big box software. And I'll make this, try and make this story, long story as short as possible. But anyway, back then there was a show called Interchange, and it was basically the same idea. They would take the buyers for Costco, Best Buy, uh, Walmart, Target, Amazon, you know, Circuit City, all the big retailers, Staples, um, Barnes & Noble. And then they would put the buyers in one place, a luxury hotel for a weekend. And then all of us vendors would pay to come down to that hotel and have meetings with the buyers. In that industry, the reason it worked so well was because, you know, Costco's in Issaquah. Barnes & Noble's in New York, Staples is in Boston, CompUSA was in Dallas, you know, uh, Best Buy and Musicland were in Minneapolis. So they get the buyers in one place and we could have um, a lot of meetings over two days and get a whole lot done without flying all over the country. So basically, I took that same idea and we did interchange in Washington. So the vendors wouldn't have to drive all over the state meeting with buyers. And of course, one of the reasons it really works well in this industry is because it's illegal to mail samples, right? So anyway, the first one uh, went off quite well. It was smaller. You know, we had about 25 uh, uh, stores participate and it's just grown since then. Um, and now we, you know, it's sold out every time and we have a wait list uh, both on the vendor side and on the retailer side. Yeah, that's amazing. When a lot of people are pulling back, it, it's still there. Uh, have you noticed any differences in locations like the Seattle one versus I think you were in Illinois or somewhere over there? Um, I'm sure that you run them all the same, but what nuances, is there needs or wants that are different? Or have you noticed kind of different intricacies uh, within the market? Yeah, that's a great question and um, a really relevant one. So in Washington, because there's no vertical integration, 
you've got a lot of vendors that want to meet with the buyers. In other states where there is vertical integration, there's a little less of the buyers trying to find vendors and vice versa because a lot of times they're selling pot they grow themselves. Um, and then also, of course, you've got the different state laws. So, yeah, we, we've been doing other states. Oregon has been quite successful for us, but they have different laws down there. So um, we had to structure it a little differently to where actually the vendors had the booth and the buyers went to the vendors. Now, it was successful, but um, I think Washington still is even more successful because of the way we put the buyer, you know, most people think of trade shows like, oh, I'm going to go to a trade show and set up a booth. And interchange is different, right? The buyer has this has the booth or the space, if you will. And then the vendors come to them and have meetings every half hour and make presentations. We couldn't do it that way in Oregon because of a few little weird things to do with their laws. But we did do it that way in Michigan and Michigan was also very successful. So yeah, I'm working with um, Raina, who's the show manager and we've got um, interchanges sort of on the drawing board, I guess, for um, several other states this year. And there's a lot of interest in it. What's your take on the industry as a whole? Kind of people are talking about schedule three. You've been to Oregon. You know how many licenses there are. I don't know if you've been to interchange in Oklahoma yet. Uh, tons of licenses there, right? And so I would imagine a, a lot of consolidation, closures, whatever. Um, what What's your take on on where we're at? You mean the industry as a whole or... Yeah, or or individual markets, you know, or both. Yeah, what's your take? I mean, I, I know it's saturated. Everyone thought New York was going to be the the uh, savior of the industry, and that flopped hard, at least for now. Like every other new rollout, um, nothing different there. So, so where are we at? You know, it's tough because every state is different. You know, if it, like uh, getting back to the CD-ROM biz, I was in when. We released, uh, you know, National Geographic maps on CD-ROM. We could sell it in every state. And we could also scale it up quick. So if Costco ordered 100,000 units, you know, I called my replicator, boom, it was done. We were shipping it to them three weeks later. With this industry, it's so difficult because every state is different. So you mentioned Oklahoma, right? I think they issued about 3,000 licenses down there. And the cost per license was 25 bucks. So you've got, and, and that's in a state with about 3 million people. So I hate to say it, but, you know, a huge number of those licenses are probably not going to make it, or if they do, they're going to be doing 50, 100 grand a month in sales um, in a retail store. The opposite extreme maybe is Arizona, right, where I believe they have, I think, about 200 or 250 licenses strictly regulated. And down there, a license I've heard is worth like five to $10 million. You know, they're just crushing it down there because it's a much more tightly regulated business. Um, so that's kind of the deal, right? I, I think someone getting into this business, you've got to be really careful and sort of look at what the situation is. Perfect example of someone who can really read it well is um, a guy I was talking to last week. I'm kind of friends with him. His name's Matt Chadwick. He started a store in Oregon, and instead of doing Portland or Bend or any of the, you know, Eugene or any of the places you might think make sense, he opened up a store in Ontario 
which is in Eastern Oregon and the closest town to Boise. <laughs> and he's absolutely crushed it over there. It's the number one store in the Northwest in terms of sales. Uh, he beats every other store in Washington and Oregon by volume, by dollar amount. You know, it's just smart, right? Well, I talked to Matt um, a couple of weeks ago, and guess what? He's now got the number one store in New Mexico. Same deal. He's right next to Texas. Well, yeah, he's in a little town called Sunland Park, right next to El Paso. You can walk to his store from El Paso. And he's absolutely crushing it again. He's got the number one store in New Mexico. So I guess the, you know, to me, the lesson is, is, you know, think smart, think like traditional retail, right? Where are you going to put it? Um, and his stores, I, I mean, I wouldn't, you know, they're not super fancy. Like he didn't spend a ton of money trying to make some big crazy destination store. It's more like good parking, great location, friendly crew, um, good selection, good pricing, and, you know, retail basics rather than trying to do something, you know, sort of crazy. Yeah. I like the basics because the store I was going to um, right next to my house at the airport, uh, next to SeaTac airport, um, I'm now driving 20 minutes uh, one way or 35 the other to go to a store that consistently has what I need because they don't have the blunt sticks I want. They don't carry the vape brand that's really popular in Washington. They don't have the flower. Uh, it's always sold out in the first drop, and then they wait three more weeks to order another one. So it's just 101. It's It, it should really be... Um, some, I mean, they have 10 stores in Washington. I don't even know how they do that because legally you're only supposed to have five. Um, and then they're now they're going into Illinois and it's like, y'all need to just figure out how to handle this one location because you're distracting yourself with all this other stuff. Okay. I'm, I'm friends with that owner. So I will relay some of this to him. <laughs> I mean, he's a good guy. And he's a good friend of mine, but you're right. I mean, you know, one of the problems in this industry, like any other, is you can get overextended. Or maybe you're not um, hiring the right buyer. You know, one of the problems that I think I encountered a lot early on was um, store owners who were hiring buyers who came from medical or had a background in, you know, cannabis where they were sort of buying from, for, from their friends. And um, I remember having lunches with some of those store owners going, why are you hiring someone like that? Right. You know, if you're a vendor, for example, to Costco or Best Buy, you're not even allowed to buy that buyer lunch, let alone give them samples and take them on trips. And those buyers are carefully, you know, um, trained to only buy the best product at the best price. They never buy from their friends. They never buy from someone who says, come on, dude, I'm your buddy, you know, buy some of my products. And so in this industry, you know, it's kind of the same thing, right? The stores that do the best hire people who have a, a retail background and who know how to, um, you know, sort of look at the numbers, look at the turns, look at the margins and that kind of stuff and really focus on having the best product for the customer rather than, you know, buying from their buddy because they've known that guy forever. Oh, I, I, but I happen to know who you're talking about, so I'll relay this to him. <laughs> Pass it along because I know the buyer. Um, he's a good guy. I I know the store manager, and I go in there and I tell them, and they just kind of like, yeah, we've got 1,800 SKUs. We're busy. We have high turnover. I mean, that's the that's the attitude I kind of get. And um, 
it's crazy that this stage at this time is 2024 almost. And, and, and the fact that um, stores are still operating like that is, is beyond me. Um, you've seen a lot though, Greg, with, with marijuana venture magazine, what what's one of the most underreported stories that you feel um, should have got a lot more headlines over the last year? Wow. God, that's a tough question. Or, or what's, what's something on your mind that you think people should know about that maybe didn't hit the headlines? Like what's one of those stories where you're like, man, this really should have got a lot more traction. Well, I, I think it's the, this whole idea that people getting into the industry have just got to sit down and do their homework and focus on the basics. You know, the, there's been so many crash and burn stories in this, in the cannabis industry of, you know, big talkers and, investing in this and investing in that and um and so so many times these companies have just gone nowhere i mean you look at the stock of you know leafly or or hillary and a ton of other companies and they're in the tank because they i mean a lot of them anyway kind of had these big grandiose plans and they were going to do this and that and it just didn't work out one of the things i always tell people who are getting into the grow side is, you know, when it comes right down to it, you're in the ag biz. You are growing an agricultural product and farmers don't have big margins. They never have, they never will because ag is always going to be kind of a commodity. And, you know, they, they a lot of growers hate it when you say that to them it's like no but dude we grow the best weed we've got the best strains we've got you know it's like yeah but everybody says that focus on scale focus on efficiency um hire somebody who has a background in commercial ag already or a degree from wazoo or you know a, an ag university that knows how to manage a commercial greenhouse or that um you know just Somebody with that kind of a background, because you can teach them about cannabis later, but you want them to know about how to run a commercial greenhouse, for example. I mean, that's a really, really big job managing people, managing a commercial greenhouse. It takes real expertise. And so many um, people, when they started out, you know, they're hiring their brother-in-law or their whatever, you know, or some guy from high times that was a master grower. And they really didn't know how to scale up and run a, a big ag business. Um, and, that, you know, so that's on the ag side. And again, back on the retail side, it's like hire somebody that's run a 7-Eleven. Yeah. Well, you just made another good example of high times and how they try to file an IPO and they weren't following like 101 rules of, of when you you're in a regulated industry already and you're trying to file an IPO and be even more regulated. And then you do something stupid and now you got fined and now you're irrelevant uh, because you didn't do the basic 101, um, like you were mentioning, like just do the basics, I guess. is. Yeah. And speaking of high times, you know, that was another thing, right? All their cannabis cups eventually crashed and burned. And I'm not, I don't want to accuse them of doing anything, you know, uh, sort of underhanded or dishonest. But in the cannabis industry, when you talk to people, they'd say, yeah, if you win a cannabis cup, it's just the person who advertised the most with them. Now, whether that's true or not, I don't know because I never entered a cannabis cup. But once that rumor starts floating around, that's kind of everybody thinks, yeah, it's just a bunch of BS, right? It's not really based on how good the product is. It's based on how much you advertise with high times. And that was what everybody told me. And so, you know, you kind of wonder, like, at some point, people 
you know, with social media and everything, the word gets around and they're like, yeah, we're not going to bother. Yeah. I heard crazy stuff about that too. Some probably are a pay to play. Um, and some aren't. I also heard some stuff about how some of those, um, uh, cups were just an excuse to sell hardcore drugs and they would just, whoever got caught would then, um, when they got out, they would get a, a C-suite position in that company. And then the next mule would, would get caught and they just kind of keep doing it, whether that's rumors or not. I don't know. I've heard a lot of crazy stuff about that as well, but I have tested, um, I've been a judge for, for many companies, high times included, and most of the quality companies don't enter that. And I, what I've noticed is 97.5% of what I test is absolute trash, garbage, and shouldn't even be in the market. And so this is leading to my next question of with Schedule 3 coming, people can't even handle the um, the regulations, the the compliance. They can't do anything already. And to ask them to do something on a level that big pharma is doing is, is you're just you're begging to fail. And I think 97 and a half percent have already failed because the trash that I've already smoked 97 and a half percent have no business being in business, which leaves one to three companies per state that actually qualify beyond that. So that's my crystal ball prediction. Um, 97 and a half percent of everyone, you know, gone. Um, and deservedly so I'm not going to be sad when they're gone. I know these people, I, I like them, but they have no business being in business and that's tough love. What's your prediction? I, you know, my, I, I think, well, I don't know, you know, I, I mean, that, that's such a good question and it's tough to really predict the future. I think I've always said that when we get federal legalization, right. If, and when that comes. I think most of the growing is going to be done down around Bakersfield, right? They already have this huge infrastructure down there. They've got zillions of square feet of greenhouses. They have perfect growing conditions. You know, if you look at... But Greg, there's fire in New York and the genetics in, in um, the humidity in Florida are amazing. Have you seen the growers? They're fire. <laughs> it's it's a meme. Everyone thinks they've got these genetics and it's like, why are you... No one's going to grow indoors in, in Florida. They're going to go to California, like you said. Well... If you, you know, I, so let me back up. I went to, I was at, I went to the UW and I actually took a couple classes on food there, which sounds like they're kind of unrelated, but in one way it's related in that I remember, and it, I think it's changed a little bit, but 20, 30 years ago, it was like two thirds of all the vegetables in the entire planet were grown in the Central Valley of California. I mean, it's just an enormous number. Most people don't realize this, but even today, right, California is the number one ag state in the country by a wide margin. Number two is, I think, Iowa, mostly because of cattle production. But California has the largest um, patch of, um, they call it, um, what do they call it? They call it something one, tier one. It's not tier one, but it's class one soil in the entire planet. And there's a reason that there's so, you know, lettuce, grapes. Um, tomatoes, all these things are all grown sort of from, you know, like Bakersfield to Fresno. Um, and I remember talking to a uh, professor at one of the ag schools, I think it was the University of Utah, um, oh shit, five or six years ago. And I said, where do you think, you know, what, where will all of the commercial growing take place? He goes, well, Greg, wherever they're growing tomatoes, because the plant 
has almost the exact same requirements as tomato as far as nutrients, full sun, same type of soil. But where do they grow tomatoes? They grow it in the Central Valley of California. Um, and they already have all of these giant greenhouses set up. And that's another thing, right, is that people who know ag and are really into it will tell you that basically the greenhouse was, you know, invented for a reason. And um, anyone who knows how to really operate a greenhouse well will be able to grow cannabis just as well as in pure indoor conditions. I, I think the only reason that right now they're not is because there aren't that many people who really know how to use and utilize a greenhouse well. But once you get into, you know, really being good with the greenhouse and hiring the right expert, you should, in theory, be able to grow cannabis that's just as good as pure indoor, but for about 60 to 70% less cost because you're utilizing the sun. Yeah. And yet there's still a lot of people who don't know how. It is my amazement that even now people still are producing and releasing stuff that they shouldn't be. So last, last four, so I go to 20 stores on 420 every year. And last year I got an ounce that had perlite stuck in it. So it was smashed. So someone stepped on it and yeah, and still put it in there. So perlite's not something you want to smoke. Uh, I had another ounce that was, I opened it up and it looked like mold. And then when I put my microscope on it, you could see the spider mites on there. It was that bad. Then I opened up another one and it was all brown and nasty and moldy. And so um, I, so I, I now I'm telling like friends don't let friends buy weed during the week of 420. Cause that's when everyone's putting their trash out and it's bad. It's, it's gotten really, really bad. And those people do not deserve to be in business. And so again, back to my whole thing, like 97 and a half percent are going to fail, especially if schedule three comes they're toast. That's going to be terrible for the industry. Yeah. I, I you know, I see a fair amount of, of um, flour and most of it looks pretty good, but, but you're right. There is some bad stuff out there and there's, you know, one of the other things I hear a lot too, but by the way, Josh, while we're talking about it is the buyers tell me that sometimes, you know, they'll go to interchange or they'll look at samples from a from a um, from a vendor, and it's really great stuff when it's presented right, and they're like, "Ooh, this is good, and that's a great price." And then over the course of a few weeks or a few months, it gets worse and worse and worse. The trim's not as good, and you know, they can tell that the the grower is kind of substituting and putting crappier weed in. And that is, you know, that really irritates them. But buyers have told me that that happens fairly regularly. You know, they that it really is irritating because it's, you know, they're showing the best stuff first and then it degrades with time. And eventually they're like, this is nothing like what you showed me months ago when we first ordered it. So. It's like what they bring to the testing facility. They'll bring the cola and then and then everyone else gets the B grade buds. I hear that a lot, Greg. I don't think that's isolated. I think a lot of people are doing that and it's it's not going to work out really long term for them, I don't think. Well, that's why I think the top guys, right? And we know who they are in this state and in most states stay where they're at because they have really good operations and super good quality control. Um I mean, we all know who, you know, the big guy is over in Spokane that's been sort of number one and close to it. You know, I mean, Fat Panda, right? We all know who they are. And years ago, um, I was talking to one of the big retail operators here in Seattle, and I was like, so why are those guys so good? And 
he told, you know, the store owner said, Greg, they, they're super consistent. They always deliver on time. Their POs are counted out correctly. If I have a problem, they get back to me quickly. But more importantly, the quality never changes, right? It's always the same. And we know we can count on them. And I think that's a big, big deal. You know, I mean, because you don't hear that a lot. No. Where's the blue dream? I, I don't, that was a great strength. Blue dream is circa 2015. You know, you can't have consistency at all in this industry. It makes it really, really hard to, um, to have people that, that, uh, are looking for just that, like they have their brand and they want to go back to it. And when you have cat piss one day and then blue dream the next, you're like, what am I doing? Yeah, no, you're right. Uh, so if people want to learn a little bit more uh, with Marijuana Venture Magazine, they can go to that website. Where are you guys at? Um, Interchanges in Seattle. That's tomorrow. Um, yeah, that's in Renton. Uh, where can people learn a little bit more about that? Is that interchange.com? Uh, yeah, on our website, marijuanaventure.com. But, um, we, you know, you have to have a pass to get in. And it's an industry-only event. So I just want to make clear it's not open to the public. Um, you have to be 21. You have to be in the industry. But um, they can, yeah, they can learn about it on our website. Or um, I think we do have interchange.com. I'm not sure that shows. Maybe I. Yeah, if anyone's in a state that the interchange is not available, reach out, um, get it. Because I'm telling you, I've been to many, many events uh, around the world, and this is probably one of the best, um, especially when you're talking about. Uh, the benefits to to everybody involved. It's a win 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 for everyone who shows up. It's not to the public. It's straight business, and um, I think it's it's invaluable. Like I mentioned, there are NFL players who have clout and media and money, and yet they can't sell a single product. Why? Because they lack the distribution. And Greg is is filling that in. So uh, I'm not getting paid to say this. I'm just I'm just speaking the truth that these events like this are um, incredibly valuable. And if you don't have one, get it. Cool. Thank you, Josh. Yeah. So with that, I'm going to thank my guest, Greg James. He is the publisher of Marijuana Venture Magazine and also uh, hosts Interchange, like speed dating for producers, processes, and retailers. Check it out. Highly valuable with that. Greg, thanks again for being on the Talking Hedge. Hey, yeah. Thank you, Josh. It's my pleasure. I'm Josh Kincaid. This is The Talking Hedge. Don't forget to like, share, and subscribe, or don't, and I'm out. Don't forget to smash that like button on your way out and check out these other videos that we've got. Thanks for listening to today's show. To check out more great cannabis podcasts, go to podconnects.com. Here's a preview of one of our other shows. Hey there, this is Cheryl Murray Powell Esquire, and I'm the host of the Terps in the City podcast. I am a cannabis agricultural dietary supplement and trade attorney. I'm also a hemp farmer, and I've been recently named to the list of High Times Magazine's top 100 influencers in cannabis. I'm inviting you to follow me along my journey as I move back to New York to support the adult use market there. You're going to get a chance to listen to conversations with some of my friends along the way. I look forward to seeing you at Terps in the City.